All right. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. Welcome to the very first Mike Smith show here on CKNW. That's right. Brand new show, 9 to noon weekdays. You're stuck with me now here, barring a face plant by yours truly here. So if I don't screw this up, I invite you to join me Monday to Friday, 9 to noon, right here on CKNW AM 980, CKNW.com. we got an awesome first show coming up for you, including my first guest standing by here. I'll introduce in a moment. I've got a pretty good first guest for the first show, I guess. Quick plug for later in the show, though. President of the BC Teachers Federation, Terry Mooring, on the show today. Today's supposed to be the first day back at school for a lot of BC kids, including my own two boys. I got two kids in the public school system. Believe me, they, they want to go back to school. They miss their friends. They're stuck at home. How will this disrupted school year look like here going forward? I'll ask the head of the teachers' union. Also, Dr. Michael Curry from UBC. He's an expert in emergency medicine and infectious disease. He'll be here to answer your COVID-19 questions. So get set to call me up on that. Of course, this new show launches under the shadow of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is the story of our lives. This pandemic has turned our lives upside down. The number of infections rising, the unprecedented social distancing and isolation, the economic destruction. That is the focus of this show. So let's get to it right now with my first guest, Premier John Horgan. Premier, thank you very much for coming on. It's a pleasure, Smitty. Congratulations to the airwaves. Thank you, sir, and I appreciate you making yourself available. First guest, first show. Let me ask you first, how are you managing all this uh, uh, personally? Are you you isolated from your staff, working at home? Like, how does that work? Well, I spent the past two days at home. I'm I'm currently at home. I'll be into the office uh, at the legislature within the next half hour. And uh, I've tried as best I can to uh, make sure that I'm in touch, uh, obviously, every day with senior staff, with my colleagues in cabinet, with uh, Adrian uh, Dix, with uh, Dr. Henry and others. And, and of course, most of the work that I've been doing is uh, trying to coordinate a cross-government approach to this. And I'm leaving the the, the hard, heavy lifting to Dr. Henry and, and Minister Dix as they're regularly uh, and have been for weeks now, uh, providing uh, clear and straightforward information to the public. Uh, it's my view, and I think you agree, Mike, that um, the public wants to hear from experts. They don't need to hear from politicians. My job is to yeah. make sure we're preparing for tomorrow while our health workers, uh, bless them all, are, are worrying about the minute to minute of every day. And we need to have a plan going forward. Recovery is going to happen. I know many people are stressed beyond belief. Uh, I talk to friends. I talk to family. I've discovered Zoom technology. I don't know if you've... Uh, ever use zoom Mike, but uh what a great way to connect with people uh and uh, large large numbers of people without uh stepping away from your telephone so i'm doing my level best to to keep uh up to speed to uh, yeah. talk to people who need to be talked to to be available for the media when you need me but we're leaving uh the hard work to healthcare providers and we're so grateful for all the work yeah. they're doing every day everybody healthy in your family so far yeah uh yeah. my spouse uh has been we have a, a number of people that are uh, that have returned from overseas that she's shopping for. Uh, she's connecting with uh, with uh, seniors. Uh, I'm really excited about Isabel McKenzie's two one one line to connect uh, seniors that are that are you know oftentimes socially isolated, connecting with volunteers so that they don't have to go out of their homes. Uh, what what's been extraordinary, Mike, and you've seen this. Uh, uh, the people just rallying to, to help each other uh, in times of crisis. That's when character shines through. And I'm so proud of the vast majority of British Columbians. Are, and when, when there are wankers, uh, people jump on them pretty fast. And, and uh, whether they be elected representatives calling out 
uh, hoarders or, or profiteers or, or just regular folks saying, hey, man, grow up. Uh, it's really, really impressive to see. It makes me proud to be a British Columbian. Are you, are you, you're happy then with the social distancing uh, that you're seeing so far? Because we have heard from your Solicitor General saying, look, if people don't follow the rules, we're prepared to enforce the rules and maybe fine or even jail people. Is that possible? Well, there are still people out there that are pretending that this isn't a problem. And uh, they're a minority, to be sure, uh, but they're putting everyone else at risk. And and, uh, at 7 o'clock every night when people are banging pots uh, to pay tribute to those essential workers in in our healthcare system and those that are stocking shelves, those that are driving trucks uh, to bring uh, much-needed supplies to British Columbia, we don't need people that aren't pulling on the rope together. And and uh, so far, so good. Uh, we've seen a decline in the in the growth rate, but uh, Dr. Henry is very clear. We are far from out of the woods yet. Uh, we have seen a decline in the percentage of growth, but there's much more work to do, and people need to uh, not take too much comfort from uh, yeah. that decline and make sure that we can continue to see that curve bend. Speaking of Premier John Horgan, how long do we got to live like this? I know it's impossible to say, but when you speak to your experts and your advisors, what what is the the future in your mind of, on, on what you hope will unfold here? Well, we've been taking uh, our direction from public health officers, Dr. Henry's team, uh, for about eight weeks now, and I think that puts us. I just have, I'm in regular contact with the federal government and my provincial colleagues. And uh, many of them are quite envious of, of the, the work that's being done here. And I, I give uh, all the credit to uh, Minister Dix and to Dr. Henry and her team who recognized very early on. And, of course, we had uh, the outbreak in Washington State to be a graphic reminder of what would happen if we're not prepared. Other parts of Canada didn't have that in their backyard as we did. Yeah. So they've been a bit slow off the mark. Uh, and we're continuing. Uh, Dr. Henry not only is giving advice and counsel to our government and to the people of BC, but right across the country. But when do you and hope? It, when do you hope it'll be over, though? Well, uh, I don't want to predict, Mike, because uh, it's going to be wrong. Uh, you've seen uh, Donald Trump, uh, thankfully, back away from his Easter edict uh, yeah. to now talking about May and June, and I think that's a that's probably a reasonable expectation for the public. Uh, we're not we're far from out of the woods, even though it's a bright sunny day and people are feeling well, they've got to make sure they continue to feel well. And that means continuing on uh, with the program as Dr. Henry has laid it out for people, and uh, we'll get through this together. Let's talk really briefly here about the the people who are struggling. This Wednesday is the first of the month. A lot of bills coming due. People expected to pay their rent. You said a few days ago, if you can pay your rent, you should pay your rent. If you can pay. What if you can't pay your rent this Wednesday? What should people do? Well, we, we put in place a program to get uh, $500, up to $500 to renters. Uh, there's a, a $1,000 uh, grant uh, to immediately to those who uh, have lost their job uh, or, or lost their income as a result of COVID-19. Yeah. The federal government has stepped up big time. Uh, we're trying to get dollars into people's pocket as possible. And, of course, we're also asking landlords to be real here. This is... Uh, uh, many of them are concerned about their mortgage payments, and uh, governments are taking steps to assist in deferring mortgage payments. They should be working with their with their tenants to make sure that nobody's dislocated. We need to we need people to stay in place, and and if you're being told you have to leave your home, that's impossible. So that's why the directive from the government that no one uh, will be evicted. Uh, and now the hard even work if you can't even if you a, can't pay your rent though, right? Like my question was, what if you can't pay your rent? Yeah, well, uh, if you have to, you go have to go through the residential tenancy branch. Uh, if you're a landlord, to uh, proceed with an eviction, it doesn't happen immediately. It's not the day after rent is due. Uh, there's a process. That process is in place, and we've made it pretty clear to landlords and tenants 
that we expect uh, everyone to work together through this and, and we'll settle the score uh, in terms of what the consequences will be for, in terms of dollars uh, down the road. And I think that's what every government's doing. That's what uh, okay. the direction we're giving to the public is that let's just uh, make sure w- that we all get through this together. And uh, people taking drastic action on uh, April 1st would not be the best way forward. Last question for you. When we recover from this and when this is eventually over, are you concerned about the amount of debt that the, the province is racking up? Uh, Christy Clark, your predecessor in the Premier's office, tweeted the other day that there's too much debt being piled up here. Well, I'm not going to take any advice from that quarter. I'm going to listen to the people in the business community who I've been talking to regularly, people in uh, in workplaces, and, and we're going to make sure that uh, we're in this together. British Columbia was in a pretty solid spot, as you know, Mike. Uh, we tabled the budget what seems like a thousand years ago that was balanced uh, this year, next year, and the year after. Uh, ambitious capital plan, all of those things that that normal activity would have suggested. Well, we're not normal anymore, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect people today, and we'll we'll deal with the consequences later. This is not unusual in times of crisis, Uh, and and again, BC was in a good spot to start with, and we're going to be in a good spot when we come out of the other end of this. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Good luck. All right, welcome back. Mike Smith here, my interview there with uh, Premier John Horgan, first guest, first show. Let's get the other side of it now. Andrew Wilkinson, the leader of the Liberal Party, is the leader of the official opposition. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, and congrats on the new show, Mike. You're obviously taking on an interesting time. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we're the COVID-19 pandemic is is the focus uh, for all our lives here right now, and that's what we're focusing on today. I know you were listening to the interview with Horgan there. Anything jump out at you? Well, a few things come to mind. First of all, we're all united in this province, and we as the opposition are firmly supportive of the public health efforts to defeat the virus. That's job one for all of us. There's no time for bickering between parties when it comes to defeating the virus. So you won't find us quibbling and groaning about that, as has happened elsewhere in Canada. We are united with Dr. Henry and working with uh, Adrian Dix, the health minister, to defeat this virus as soon as possible. One thing that does come to mind that I think is on a lot of people's minds, including yours, is what's happening with our K-12 school system. And that's obviously a legitimate question. In Ontario and Alberta, they're back to school on an online virtual way. They did that on the 23rd of March. And so I think all of us are waiting and wondering what the provincial government's going to do with K-12 education because a letter came around to parents on the 27th that was kind of vague about where things are going. You know, they've got all the materials working in Ontario. It's working in Alberta. Let's get it working in British Columbia. So that's got to be one of the the highest uh, tasks on John Horgan's list these days. Okay, you mentioned that you don't want to see any bickering between politicians. Your, your predecessor in your job, Christy Clark, the former Liberal leader, the, the former Premier, tweeted the other day that she was concerned about the, the, the piling up of debt. So she said that the COVID, to quote her exactly on Twitter, she said the COVID response money must be spent. We got to save lives and save jobs. But she said it's sad that previous governments blew the doors off of spending in the good years, as she put it. And now all the money that's being spent today will be debt for our kids. Do you agree with her that we should be concerned about debt piling up? Well, priorities, eh? We've got to defeat this virus. So we were in the legislature a week ago right now. Uh, with a skeleton crew on all sides, 12 people out of 87 there to provide government with the necessary funding to get on with it in the hospitals and healthcare, make sure the resources are there for Dr. Henry and all of the 
tens of thousands of nurses and respiratory techs and doctors are out there working their guts out to make sure that we're safe. So that's the top priority, and there's no point in quibbling about that budget. Just get it done. I don't know of anybody who'd disagree with that. We are going to have a big challenge to get this economy rolling again, and I think the restaurant associations made it pretty clear. They're talking about 150,000 people who are now unemployed. And that's going to be hard on so many people. The federal programs are starting to kick in, but that's going to be a few weeks until that comes clean for people. So we have hundreds of thousands of British Columbians who are very, very worried about their financial future. British Columbians had pretty high debt levels already on a personal basis from the cost of living here. And now this comes as an extra kick in the pants. So all of us are worried about personal debt. Government debt is going to be an issue, and you can see what's happening federally. There's going to be a whole lot of government debt, kind of like there was in World War II. Speaking of BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, you mentioned that the the school year that's been disrupted, a lot of BC kids were scheduled to go back to school starting today. Uh, A lot of parents scratching their head today about exactly what their kids are supposed to do in terms of online learning. I noted that you mentioned the experience in other provinces, notably Alberta and Ontario. Are, are you saying what they're ahead of us here? BC's behind. Like these other provinces are doing a, a better job rolling out online learning. Well, I'm looking at uh, the Global News, your parent company, yeah. I guess. Uh, coronavirus uh, bulletin, March 20th, saying in Ontario that they're launching the program on March 23rd. That's a week ago. And they had provided for a whole range of online learning options using their network, TV Ontario, which is kind of like Knowledge Network. You know, when you think about this, this distance learning has been underway since about 1950. They did it by shortwave radio in the Australian outback. So this is not new. And the Ontario program anticipates some kids won't have computers and is talking about delivering learning materials to them by courier. Homeschooling has been around for a long time, so all those materials exist. They can get printed up and sent to kids who don't have access to computer. And the kids who do have access to a computer, which is most of them, can get on with their teachers and, and get it done. So we're looking to the Minister of Education, to John Horgan, and saying, sure, there's a health crisis. That's being handled as well as it can be. Okay. There's also going to be the uh, stress and concern at home when kids don't have enough to do and parents are feeling a little at sea about how to teach their kids. Some parents can handle it and, you know, all the power to them. Other parents say, I need some help. And we do have, you know, 40,000 very capable teachers in this province who are back to work today. So it's up to the Ministry of Education to get them mobilized and get them working with the kids again. Just in 30 seconds, the government has delayed or deferred a lot of tax increases, which I know you support. One thing that is still set to go forward is an increase in the minimum wage on June 1st. Speaking of restaurants, I'm already hearing some restaurant owners saying, look, can we delay that minimum wage increase? Do you think the government should do that? We have 30 seconds here. Well, it's a little unclear as to what the whole economic package is going to be because so many businesses, large and small, are struggling with this massive increase in NDP taxation over the last two and a half years. That's just one more kick in the pants. But we also got to make sure that families and workers and people who are out of a job have enough money to get by. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike, and all the best in the show. It is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News, and we're in the studio, but we're social distancing. Hard to believe we could social distance in this cramped studio, but you pulled it off. You actually had a tape measure out We figured here. it out. We're eight, eight feet apart. We're being very, very cautious here. broom here. closet. Yeah, we're being very cautious here, and I think everybody should. Yep. Everybody should. Everybody right? keep your, your physical distance. Let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, which is like the story of our lives uh, yep. right now, and 
I just spoke to the premier, John Horgan, and mm-hmm. one of the things that jumped out at me was I asked him, like, what, what is kind of like your personal life these days? And he's kind of staying out of it to a degree. Like, he told me that he's relying on Dix, his, his health minister, and also Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer. We've seen premiers in other provinces, notably like Doug Ford in Ontario, take a much more sort of front and center role in this yeah. thing. Dix is kind of sort of sort of holding back a little bit, I think. Yeah, he told me he he relies enormously on his front line, which he says is extraordinary in his view. You have got people like Adrian Dix, the health minister, Carol James, the finance minister, and he points out both are ex-party leaders, yeah, you know, which is very unusual. And Mike Farnworth, uh, as his public safety minister, and he says, uh, you know, I, I I don't I was in his office last week. Uh, after a post interview and he sort of lounging around and saying, I don't need to stick my nose in this all yeah. the time. I've got some incredibly talented frontline people. And I think, uh, he does. I mean, these, these guys are doing their job. Okay. Let's talk about some of the numbers. You've been working every day on this thing because mm-hmm. and I asked you the other day, like, you ever take a day off? And you were saying, like, pretty much not. No. Because, like, to you, like, it, you had a long career in journalism. When you look at this story, is this like the biggest story you've ever covered? Oh, by far the biggest story. Yeah. The biggest story of our lives. And it's yeah. uh, it's going to continue, which is why I'm not, I mean, what's the sense of taking a day off? I mean, every day yeah. something new happens, something different happens. It's affecting everybody's lives in such a profound way. And I think it's almost, we're all performing what I think is sort of public service journalism. I get, and, and you do too, I get inundated every day with dozens of emails from people, f- calls. I don't know how people get my cell phone. I get complete strangers phoning me on my cell phone, asking questions about COVID, uh, asking, wanting me to ask questions of Dr. Bonnie Henry because they know I get, yeah. a, I get a question in, in, in these briefings. So, you know, there's 60 to 100 reporters on these phone, on this phone line. Uh, press guy reporters get precedence. I get a question. People just want answers. They want information. There's an insatiable appetite for information on this story, which is why I have no problem working seven days a week. I've, I think it's my 28th day now without, yeah. you know, but that's, that's what you got to do. It is the story of our lives. Okay. And there, we'll have another update this afternoon. One thirty. uh, Adrian Dix, the health minister, Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, that'll be brought to you live here on CKNW. And uh, they took a day off yesterday, which has been the typical pattern here the last couple of well, weeks. Well, they didn't so, really take it. They took a day off from the cameras. They, well, they that's were, what I mean. Like yeah. they didn't do an update yesterday. So we're get. Does that mean like typically the numbers that we'll get this afternoon are people bracing for a bit of a jump in the numbers because there's like a gap, like there's a one day yeah. gap there. So we're gonna it's like a two day two day number update. We haven't had the, an update since mo- uh, Saturday morning. So yeah. if you look at the trend, it's been twelve percent a day sort of thing. Twelve so percent increase in confirmed cases. In confirmed yeah. cases. So that we're probably is that good? That's supposed to be good, right? <laughs> well, it's better than the twenty four percent we were tracking at at the beginning yeah. of the outbreak. So the numbers coming down. The other number to keep an eye on. So so in terms of reported cases, well more than a hundred is expected today. But the number to keep an eye on is hospitalizations. We're at 81 on Saturday morning. Uh, if it's a 5% increase as it's been the last couple of days, then you know it's not a huge number. If, if it's more than that, then that's a little cause for concern. Bar- Dr. Barney Henry says, we are now at the start of a critical two-week period, 10-day period. And this is where we're going to know whether our, the measures that have been implemented for the last few weeks are going to yeah. pay off, uh, whether our, our physical distancing is going to pay off our shutdown of, of various you know, bars, restaurants, clubs, and that sort of thing. If it's going to pay off, we're going to see a start a, the start of a flattening of the curve. And right now, you know, the last uh, a couple updates from Dr. Bonnie Henry were a little optimistic. She was saying there's, there's glimmers of hope, yeah. is how she put it, that we're going to bend the curve, we're going to flatten it, and we're going to know more t- this afternoon. Every day is critical. 
glimmers of hope, yet the the last number that we received on Saturday, as you mentioned, was 92, yeah. right? A new confirmed cases, which was the biggest one-day number. But you've got to look at it in context of like a per- overall percentage increase day to day. And is is that why is that why the experts are kind of cautiously optimistic? Yeah. That even though you get a, a number that's the biggest number we've seen so far, it's not increasing at the rate that you know they feared. Yeah, because you start yeah. doing the mathematical formulas here. If it was at twenty four percent a day, yeah. you'd be at some pretty stratospheric number it's pretty quick, and that's not happening. And the other thing that's uh, keep in mind: we're testing more and more people every day. At the beginning of the outbreak, I, I don't think we tested a thousand people in a week. Now we're at three to four thousand a day. And that number keeps increasing. So the number of tests keep going up, 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 up by a huge amount, but the number of reported cases does not match the increase in testing. So 4,000 people a day, uh, we're only increasing, like on Saturday, 92 people were, were the reported cases. So that's comforting in that the, we're almost, we're probably in excess of 40,000 cases now in terms of 40,000 tests. But if we're not at a thousand uh, reported uh, cases, that's encouraging because the number of tests keep going up, but the number of cases don't match the acceleration of tests, and that's let's, good news. Let's talk about. I'm going to be speaking later on the show to the, the president of the BCTF, the teachers union here, with uh, back to school. Uh, you know, today we got I got kids in the public school system. They're supposed to go back to school today. Obviously, they're at home. Schools are shut down. Uh, I heard there was some criticism from Andrew Wilkinson, the liberal leader here, that maybe the government has not rolled out an online learning curriculum as fast as other provinces. Your thoughts? Well, there is a bit of chaos in the education system. I got first-hand experience with it yesterday because I went on Global last night and said that uh, teachers weren't supposed to come back to school today because that's what the ministry told me. But it now turns out that different districts have different policies. In some district schools, teachers were supposed to come back today and report to class. Others, they're supposed to phone their principals first. So there's a disconnect in the system right now. I don't think the communication lines are that strong. It's 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 a bit chaotic. So in with that as a backdrop, I'm not surprised that the distance learning is not up and running yet. I, I'm not sure it's going to be up and running in any effective way before uh, before the, the end of June. This, okay. th- these measures we're in right now, every expectation, they're going to last until at least the end of May. Okay. If you got kids in the public school system like me, stick around for the, the president of the teachers union and we'll get try to get some more clarity on exactly how this is going to work. Just, just lastly, we t- we'll take a break and then we'll get some phone calls going here, Keith. But uh, have you ever seen anything like this in terms of the, the politics of this thing or kind of lack thereof? I yeah. mean, like, there's there's no way. Wilkinson, when I was talking to him, it, it, he's not going after this government at all. I no. mean, there's like some mild criticism, basically, of the of a delay in getting a, a, an online curriculum going. No. But, I mean, this is a sort of unprecedented time when there, basically there is no politics there, going on. There are no politics in B.C. Yeah. right now. It's, politics yeah. just isn't on the table. There's no partisanship. In fact... Quite the the reverse of that. Adrian Dix, for example, um, had Norm Letnick, the the BC Liberal health critic, host a town hall on his behalf uh, in Kelowna last uh, last week, and lauded him for it. He's appointed this this whole initiative to help seniors, the two one one initiative, yeah. bring meals to seniors. Well, two of the people in charge of that are Shirley Bond and John Yap, both BC Liberal MLAs. I mean. Yeah. There's a real lack of partisanship right now, which is great. Which is good. And it stands yeah. in stark contrast. For example, what's going on in Ottawa? Politics still very much in play in Ottawa. You know, Andrew Shearer and Peter McKay sniping at Trudeau and yeah. this type of thing. That's not happening in BC, and that's quite refreshing. All right. Welcome back to the show. Mike Smith here with you as we continue our coverage and analysis of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's affected all our lives, every facets of them. 
You think about the school year now. If you got kids in the public school system like I do, I got two boys in high school. Today was the day they were supposed to go back to school after the end of spring break. Of course, that not happening with in-class instruction canceled, though. We're told by the government, though, that we should get ready for online learning. But I don't think I'm alone as a parent and wondering how that's going to work and how what my kids should be doing in terms of learning online. Let's find out what's going on now with my guest, Terry Mooring. She is the president of the BC Teachers Federation, and I'm very pleased she could make some time for us today. Hi, thanks for coming on. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So let's talk about back to school here, I guess, or maybe virtual back to school. Are teachers actually going physically to the school? Are teachers working from home? How is this going to work? So it's, uh, there are a variety of different plans right now um, across the districts. What uh, is consistent, though, are any teachers that have a vulnerability, uh, according to Health Canada or the BC CDC, um, will be working from home. And the, obviously, that's by necessity, anyone who's ill, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's consistent. Um, but uh, apart from that, some districts have chosen to have a bit of a softer start. So uh, there'll be teachers meeting virtually um, and working from home for the first day or two this week. Uh, in other districts, there there are smaller groups of students that are of teachers that are going into buildings. So it, it varies across the province depending on the district. Okay, and of course you got to maintain the social distancing, right? Even if teachers go back into the school building. The most important thing right now is health and safety, and so we've been assured, and uh, districts have been working collaboratively with local unions, so that's that's been really important um, to ensure that uh, all health and safety precautions are put into place. So social distancing, ensuring that there are hand sanitizers and cleaning products and all that sort of stuff um, available. Um, we know that the schools have been deep cleaned, and so, uh, you know, health and safety is both the priority of government, the priority, priority of districts, the priority of the BCTF, um, and so that has all been uh, thoroughly discussed and in place, and so in the places where we haven't been assured around that or there, um, you know, there is some kind of a lag involved, uh, teachers are not you know, um, going into those buildings, but for the most part, uh, you know, there will be selected teachers going into schools in, in a lot of places, not right. not everywhere, but a lot. Um, and as we move further through the week, there'll be more teachers uh, physically in school buildings, but again, under the most, you know, stringent of safety. Uh, okay, so some, so some teachers there, but don't bring your kid to school though, right? Or what, about, what about special needs kids or kids of frontline healthcare workers? So, Are they going to be allowed to go into the school? So some part of the answer to that is a little bit down the road. Um, we're taking a, a plan. Like, there's a lot of planning that has to happen this week. No one has yeah. ever been in these situations before. And so, and nobody, you know, no one has had to provide instruction to, you know, all students remotely uh, before. And so there's a lot of planning that needs to be in place. And so, um, you know, we're asking for everyone's patience right now because it's going to take a little bit of time. Teachers just came back from spring break. And so this week is intended for planning. And then in terms of learning opportunities, um, the Minister of Education has targeted mid-April for that to begin to roll out. And so that that's a very reasonable timeline. We're very pleased with that. Okay, so parents, um, so for parents out there wondering what's going on, and I got, like I said, I got two kids in the system myself. 
So parents should be waiting to hear from their teachers or their principals about what's how, how this is going to work? They should. And so the target is, you know, towards the end of this week, um, there's uh, the uh, target of, of contacting parents um, and children, uh, of school-aged children, obviously. And so that will happen um, later in the week and into next week. So that will happen. Uh, again, we're asking for patience because uh, teachers right now are looking at some online tools and figuring out how education will be delivered. And they're doing that collaboratively, um, which is great in, in, in their schools. Um, and it's going to look different everywhere. It's not like we're, we're not translating in-class learning online. It has to be handled completely differently. And, um, and in some communities, online learning is not something is not available either because there isn't appropriate internet access or some families don't have access to computers. But moreover, um, we also have some families that are going to be uh, dealing with some very difficult situations. And so um, we all we have to be aware of all that. We have to be sensitive and thoughtful about how we're planning all this. Um, and so that's going to take some time. Okay, speaking of Terry Mooring, president of the BC Teachers Federation, so teachers will continue to be paid their full salary to, for the to work, uh, for the full year. Teachers will continue to work yeah. and be paid, and in some cases, um, that will some of our volunteer teachers um, and some CUPE teachers are will be volunteering to um, care for children of our emergent essential services workers. Um, right now, it, that's being rolled out in a very small number of districts, um, mostly in Fraser and Coastal Health, and so that that will continue. So there'll be some teachers doing that sort of work, especially our TTOCs um, and well, other teachers. Teachers on, teachers on call, right? Teachers teaching on call. So the teachers yeah. that don't have a regular assignment um, have been tapped uh, to volunteer for those uh, jobs as well. So. Right. A variety of things happening. Teachers are continuing to do their work in terms of supporting student learning, and they'll continue to be paid. That's correct. Okay, what about the support workers in the system, like teaching assistants and janitors? Are they getting paid? They are getting paid as well, yeah. We're all, um, you know, certainly um, custodial staff is continuing to uh, clean schools, and and that will, you know, be something that um, it's important that that happen uh, even more regular than normal, obviously. Um, And our EAs will uh, continue to support um, our vulnerable uh, learners and our diverse uh, students that learn diversely. Um, But it's going to look different. And so we don't have it all figured out right now, Mike. Um, That's, uh, again, this is an unprecedented situation. And I know that people use that word a lot, and it's true. Um, And so it's really important that we do that planning, and we'll be doing that planning collaboratively. Um, But again, we need to do it in a way that all students um, are able to access their education, and that's going to look different in different places. How come the planning Um, hasn't been done already? Like, I'm I'm looking at some other provinces, like notably Ontario and Alberta, they seem to be a bit ahead of us in terms of rolling out kind of an online curriculum and an online plan for kids to be learning. We seem to be running behind those other provinces. It just it depends on when your spring breaks fall, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just been a two week spring break, and so clearly there's been some planning happening. But uh, but as far as the collaborative planning with all all teachers, principals, um, and uh, support staff, there there hasn't been a chance to do that yet. And so that's we're starting that today, and there is no rush. Uh, today is the first day that that students would normally have been back from spring break. 
And so there, there is absolutely no rush. No student is going to be disadvantaged um, by us rolling this out by mid-April. That's very, uh, you know, reasonable. Uh, and, uh, and, and that will allow us a time to do some careful planning. And that needs to happen. And so, you know, there are some decisions that need to be made quickly, and that is happening. Um, but others need to be done a little bit more thoughtfully. And obviously, that's still a pretty tight timeline, given everything that has to be taken into consideration. Hey, what, and what so the, while uh, that's happening, we're also looking at how do we support a vulnerable students that depend on yeah. schools for lunches and all sorts of things. So, you know, we're taking a, a very careful and thoughtful approach, and we're just asking for patience around that. All right. Welcome back, Mike Smith. As we continue our coverage and analysis of the COVID-19 pandemic, my guest is Dr. Michael Curry. He's an assistant professor at the University of British Columbia, specializing in emergency medicine. And I'll tell you what, the frontline healthcare workers here in this fight are the heroes in this struggle. And I'm pleased he could take the time today. Michael, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, Mike. I appreciate being here. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you still doing um, you still doing some work down at the emergency room there at Delta Hospital? Oh, that's uh, that's my full time gig. Working yeah. working there about uh, every other day. What's it like there these days? So, like most emergency departments in British Columbia, it's actually slowed down a fair bit. People are getting the message that uh, the hospitals are potentially very busy and also potentially infectious. So our patient volumes have gone down, but we are seeing, I'm seeing about one to four patients with suspected COVID. Usually one or two of them are fairly sick. The others less sick every shift. So we're definitely beginning to see the COVID patients starting to appear in our emergency department. Oh, wow, wow. What's, what's that like when a, a patient comes in presenting symptoms? What kind of symptoms are you commonly seeing there? So there's two parts to your question. So the ones that we recognize are respiratory infections. And so uh, respiratory tract infections, we've all had them, common colds, influenza, cough, possibly a runny nose, sore throat, fever, and particularly with COVID and the more serious cases, shortness of breath. But the other thing that we're seeing is we're also seeing patients presenting atypically, which is to say not with those symptoms. And we've learned from our colleagues in uh, in Italy and in the United States that uh, a lot of COVID patients are coming in with, uh, uh, with symptoms that are weird. We had one gentleman uh, come in that uh, he... Um, he suffered from dementia, and his presentation was he was wandering more often. And wow. without going through the whole story, at the end of the day, the reason he was more confused than normal was because of a COVID-19 infection. So wow. COVID can present in a whole variety of ways. The classic respiratory infections are what we appreciate, but we know there's people out there with minimal or strange symptoms. Wow. Okay. Speaking of Dr. Michael Curry from the emergency department, Delta Hospital and UBC, thank you for your your service here. Like I, like I said, the people on the front lines here are the heroes here. Here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to read the phone lines out right now so we can start getting some calls right away. And if you have a question about COVID-19, here's your opportunity to ask it now. So let's open the phone lines right now. 604-280-9898 is the number to call 604-280-9898 star 9898 toll free on your cell dr michael curry is my guest what do you think about the 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 fight against this virus so far as it's the government's response the health care response the the social distancing the isolation Are, are we doing everything right or do you or do you have any concerns 
Well, I think my, my biggest concern is um, our stockpile of supplies. And um, definitely right now, we're still able to maintain protective uh, personal equipment for every patient encounter. However, um, at the current rate that we're using equipment, we're not sure how all those supplies are going to last. And there is some uncertainty about how sustainable it is. So aside from that, I think we are doing everything we can. The key thing to remember is nobody knew about this virus. We think this virus only came into existence in early December. And so the situation, as we're all aware, it's changed a lot. And things that we were saying back in January no longer no longer uh, apply when now that we're at the end of March and we have possible, well, we have community transmission in British Columbia. So it's a changing situation and it's a virus we're learning more and more about every day. Okay, when you mentioned uh, some concerns about the stockpile of supplies, which which supplies in particular are you most worried about? So, a whole bunch of them. So, our biggest supply in the big scheme of things is beds and ventilators. Um, we do have we do have enough right now. Whether that's going to continue, that's another question. Because if we look at some of the numbers coming from other countries, these could be an extreme demand. The other one is personal protective equipment. These are the gowns, goggles, glasses, masks that we use to protect healthcare workers when we're caring for people with COVID-19. And um, in regular situations, we're pretty profligate in how quickly we use this equipment. Just one patient in isolation, every person going into or out of that room will, will don and then doff this equipment later on. We can go through 20 sets of equipment on one patient in one day. Um, that's not sustainable when we're looking at having thousands, potentially tens of thousands of COVID patients presenting. So we have been advised that our stockpile, we have a stockpile, but we're using it at a very rapid rate. And so right now, there's no shortages as of yet, but uh, definitely there are some concerns that our rate of use is not sustainable. Okay, speaking of Dr. Michael Curry from Delta Hospital and and UBC, what do you think are the the main what are the main questions that you get or the most common questions that you get about this virus from people? Well, the biggest one is, can I get tested? And yeah. the answer for most people in British Columbia is no. Our uh, availability of testing is reasonably limited. And, you know, I think pretty much everybody in the province would love to get tested. But if you don't have, if you don't have any sort of symptoms, we think it's probably not that useful to test. People and the only people being tested are people who are healthcare workers who are prevented from working because of possible symptoms, people in long term care facilities, people being admitted to hospital, or people as part of a cluster or no one outbreak. So, right. most people with respiratory symptoms cannot get tested for COVID 19. And that's, uh, that's probably the number one question I'm getting asked at work. Okay, 604-280-9898 is the number to call Dr. Curry, star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Dorothy on the open line, hi. Hi, Mike. Congratulations hi. on your new show. I love hearing you on the radio. Thank you. Number um, To the doctor, antibodies. Do we know if our bodies make antibodies if we've had COVID-19? We're not 100% certain on that yet, but we're pretty sure most people will. And uh, getting an antibody test, which is something that's under development right now, could be very helpful because it can tell us if people, A, have immunity to COVID-19, and B, if they have been exposed to it. The current test only tells us 
if your body's actively making the virus. It doesn't tell us that you may have been exposed to it, say, three weeks ago. Okay, okay I have another quick question, if okay, I may. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. SARS vaccine. If COVID-19 is just a variant of SARS, why are we not using the SARS vaccine? Because we don't have a SARS vaccine. <laughs> okay, there you go. This is good. Thank you, Dorothy, for the call. If you get COVID-19, can you get it again, or do you develop immunity to it if you've been exposed to it already? Well, I'm really hoping <laughs> the latter situation, yeah. but like most viruses, one exposure, you get immunity to it. <laughs> that being said... There's been some case reports from China where people have tested positive after they've tested negative, but we're not, we're not sure how to interpret that data. The tests for picking up COVID-19, we're looking for chunks of DNA, and it's a very sensitive test, and we're thinking we might just be finding some chunks of dead virus in these people, but our hope is, and I think most of us are pretty confident, you get it once, you should be immune to it unless it mutates. Let's go to Sherry on the open line. Hi, Sherry. Oh, hi, Mike. Hi, Dr. Hi. Curry. Yeah, my question is, this church in Washington, I don't know if you've heard this really scary headline this morning in the news about a group of people in a church in Washington that say they were practicing social distancing, they're using hand sanitizer and everything else, and one of them, I guess, has died, and there's been lots of sick people from the, this group. And so they're alleging that now it's becoming airborne. I've never really got the what's the difference between pure airborne versus airborne on respiratory droplets? Dr. Curry. That's a great question. So um, most diseases are droplet-type spread. And what happens with droplet spread is you cough them out, you sneeze them out, and when they come out, they're attached to drops of mucus, and basically it's heavier than air. So if somebody sneezes or coughs in your face and you're taking a deep breath, you can breathe it right in. Unfortunately, as a doctor, I've, I've experienced that with patients yeah. coughing and all of a sudden you're breathing, they cough, and you feel some stuff in the back of your throat. Try not oh. to think about it too much, but invariably I end up sick three days later. That's a droplet-type infection. Most of those infections, you get the bugs on your hands and then you inoculate yourself. So there is a minor airborne element to it, but it's heavier than air. The droplets settle. What an airborne infection is, is there's a handful of diseases that are airborne. Tuberculosis would be one of them. Measles would be another one where it actually, the virus floats in the air. It's lighter than air. And that's a lot trickier to control. And that is you just walk through a hallway. Somebody was coughing in the hallway 45 minutes ago. It's floating in the air you breathe in, you get infected. That's a more serious, more transmissible route of infection. And there's, right now, the thought is, is that this is primarily spread by droplets. It's a heavier-than-air particle that settles to the ground. That being said, there is some evidence to suggest that influenza, and this is relatively new research, that influenza may be airborne for brief periods, and we know in laboratory conditions, the COVID virus, it, with a machine that circulates, and it can live in the air for several hours. But most of the time, it is a heavier-than-air virus. We do think it will settle to the ground relatively quickly. Let's go back to your phone calls. Hi, Kirk. Yes. Hi, go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. I watch your show every day. It's great. Now, I have rheumatoid arthritis off the scale, and I was taking methotroxate and hydrochlorine and I stopped that and I 
exercise every day in the gyms, and I'm taking Kratom. Now, I saw the woman that I got this cold from. I've been sick for a month. I called 811. My doctor's office wouldn't have me in here. I've suffered through it, and I've survived it. But the Kratom, it helped fight the pain. It gave me energy. It, it made me fight for air. And it has the cloak, the, 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 it has that rheumatoid arthritis drug in this main da kratom. I don't know what you know about okay, it. Okay, Dr. Curry. Uh, I can't say I'm familiar with it. Is it kratom with a K? That's a herbal medicine. A-T-O-M. Uh, K-R-A-T-O-M? Mang, M-A-E-N-G, da D-A, green kratom, and it deals with pain, it deals with my rheumatoid arthritis. Dr. Curry, have you heard of this thing? No, I can't say that I have. I'd have to look it up. It's interesting, though, that you were on the methotrexate, and I believe the hydroxychloroquine or the Plaquenil, uh, that's a that's a medicine that's had a lot of discussion, yes. largely due to President Trump in the United States touting it as a cure for COVID nineteen. There's some preliminary research, very preliminary research from France that suggests it may be helpful with COVID nineteen. Although our normal thought would be, is it something that tunes down the immune system? But no, that product you're referring to, I'd have to look it up. I'm not familiar with it off the Con- top of my head. Connie on the open line. Hi. Hi. Good morning, fellas. Congratulations, Mike. You always make topics so interesting. Dr. Curry, my question is, um, they say a 10% bleach solution um, is good for, for sanitizing things you bring in from the grocery store and so on. Is that nine ounces of water to one ounce of bleach? I Would actually thought it was actually 1%, so I thought it was 99 parts to one. Bleach can get pretty powerful. So if you, uh, if you do need to sanitize things, Soap and water actually does a pretty good job by itself. The other thing that people have been doing is exposure to low-level heat, so about 75 degrees Celsius. That's about 180 degrees Fahrenheit in the oven for about half an hour has also been proffered for sanitizing things. But soap does actually a really good job of killing off this virus. But I believe it is the 99 to 1. Uh, dilution of bleach has also been suggested, but personally, I think soap and water is a great alternative. 604-280-9898 is the number, star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Susan, hi. Oh, hi. Morning. My elderly mother lives with me, so in terms of safety, what's the difference between me going to get groceries versus someone else, either a friend or or online shopping plus delivery doing that work for me. Dr. Curry. So the difference there is the amount of exposure you're going to get. So there is a small risk that surfaces could be contaminated. So the person delivering the groceries could have COVID and could cough on their hands and touch your bag. You know, that's a potential. That's a potential risk, but it's a relatively low risk. Whereas when you're going out grocery shopping on your own, You're being exposed to common surfaces, and it's amazing how many times a person touches their face over the course of the day. And, of course, you're potentially exposed to the respiratory secretions of somebody, you know, coughing or sneezing right next to you. So delivery is not risk-free, and very few things are risk-free in life. It's not risk-free, but it's less of a risk than having to go outside and expose yourself. And the thought is, if you're living with an elderly person, is that if uh, the person going out is exposed, you can do distancing within a household. And there's been studies, there's been studies where 
families have had a member with with uh, COVID-19 and they have successfully isolated within the home and nobody else at home got sick. Our prime minister is an example of that. Susan, thank you for the call. Squeeze in another one here. Arturo, hi. Running, hi. Out, running out of time, though. you got to go quick. Arturo. Yes, hello. Yeah, go ahead. So my question is, uh, is there a point for delivery or career drivers to use uh, gloves and masks since the plastic uh, can contain the virus for longer than the skin? And also, is there a point in using the mask since the virus can be spread through the air? Okay, we just got a minute left, Dr. Curry. Using masks and gloves, good idea? Uh, Gloves, I don't think, offer a huge amount of benefit over just frequent hand washing. Uh, you know, I see people wearing gloves, and then I see people rubbing their nose with their gloves. You may as well be using your hands. As for a mask, in general public situation, it's controversial. There doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that in the general public wearing a mask accomplishes much. You end up just touching your face more and adjusting the mask, which is the thing we're trying to prevent with the mask in the first place. Dr. Curry, thank you for coming on and thank you for your service on the front lines of our healthcare system and on all our very brave healthcare workers who are listening today. I thank them as well. But thank you, Dr. Curry, for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. As we continue our coverage and analysis of the COVID-19 pandemic, just a quick uh, listener note for you coming up later this afternoon, 1.30, synchronize your watches for that. That will be the the daily news conference by Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer and BC health minister, Adrian Dix. Now they did not have an update yesterday. So the numbers that we anticipate today will reflect uh, some two day totals. And they always have the latest number of confirmed cases and uh, hospitalization. So we will bring you that live. That'll be live on CKNW at one thirty this afternoon as we continue to bring you full coverage and analysis here of the pandemic let's continue now with jason tetro host of the super awesome science show he is an expert on germs and other diseases and i'll tell you jason you are a man in demand i'm just doing a google news search on you and i see you quoted in news sources all around the world so i know there's a lot of people calling you these days thanks a lot for coming on it's a pleasure to be joining you Okay, what is the latest here as, as a guy who's an expert who has studied this stuff as we go forward here with the social distancing and the, and the isolation measures that we've seen in Canada and, and around the world and in British Columbia and some of the research, the, the, the furious research that's going on in this pandemic? Where are we at right now? Are we getting any closer to solving this mess or what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, just simply from the uh, social distancing perspective, yeah. we were seeing some really, really good results um, and, and I think that just shows how important uh, social and now a lot of people are saying physical distancing happens to be. That's great. But then something happened, warm weather. And so uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, a lot of people were out. Uh, you know, they were out down at the seawall. They were on the beaches. They were, you know, walking up and down mountains all together. And as a result of that, there was a potential for some spread. So may not be today, but probably tomorrow or Wednesday, we're going to hear of numbers uh, from Dr. Henry. And if we hear of a spike, then we know that that was probably related to everybody going out and avoiding social distancing. Now, if we do end up doing that, then we're probably going to have to go at least another two more weeks before we can start breathing a sigh of relief. However, 
if that's not the case, then that means that maybe, just maybe, this virus has been actually knocked down to a level where it's not really spreading so much in the community, and we may be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. We're not there yet. It's still going to take a little bit of time, but I'm hoping that it's going to be shorter instead of longer. But again, we'll just find out uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay, what about the, the the search for a vaccine or some other type of treatments to help people who are, are infected? You hear lots of stories about this particular drug may, maybe we should try or that drug mm-hmm. is being is being tried in a, in a trial basis or you hear guys like Donald Trump say maybe this drug would, would work. What's the latest on, on therapies to treat people and the search for a vaccine? Well, at the moment, because we don't have anything specifically for the coronavirus, we're sort of looking at uh, sort of alternatives that may interfere with the way that the virus infects ourselves. Um, the problem with that is if you're not really hitting the virus head on, then you may actually reduce infection a little, but you're not going to essentially wipe it out completely. What you need to have is a treatment that's going to really take care of you and make sure that the virus doesn't affect you. We're not there yet. We've got a couple of uh, drugs that are in clinical trials. Now, in terms of the vaccine, well, the issue that we face all the time is, is the vaccine going to be safe? We have trials right now to determine that. Is it going to be effective? That's the next stage. And then eventually, is it going to be effective in the regular world? Now, we know we can do this rapidly because we did this with Ebola. However, when it comes to this particular one, there are a few biological twitches that we need to be aware of. So this may actually take that sort of 12 to 18 months that people are saying. Speaking to Jason Tetro, he's a microbiologist. He's the author of The Germ Files. How easy is the virus spread? Like, I I continue to hear kind of conflicting opinions about how easily it can be spread if it's if it's strictly through droplets that are, mm-hmm. are heavier than air and that will fall and stick to a surface and you can pick it up that way or is it possible that the virus can float in the air uh, we, i've heard some different opinions on this what, what are your thoughts well i mean if you're just out in the regular world around other people uh, and they happen to cough or or sneeze which is the greatest risk they're going to be in droplets they're going to fall to the ground um, you want to maintain that two meter distance preferably just get away from the cloud altogether. Now, there are situations where you can actually mimic what would happen if a person happens to be on a ventilator or a CPAP machine or something along those lines where they're assisted in their breathing by some machine. When that happens, what ends up occurring is that what's coming out, the expiration, if you will, is going to have more fine aerosols as opposed to big, big droplets simply because it's, you know, smooth, continuous breathing. Now, if you have somebody who's lying still in a hospital bed and constantly doing this, then you're going to be producing enough virus in the air that it can get caught up in sort of the airflow that's going on inside that room, possibly into the ventilation and into other people's rooms. That is a possibility. We saw that with SARS. This is where all the aerosol stuff is coming from. If you happen to be standing two feet away from someone and they happen to sneeze, well, again, the likelihood is very, very low that you're going to come into any kind of contact with enough virus to cause you an infection. But the reality is, is that you really shouldn't be in that person's realm anyways, regardless of whether it's coronavirus, flu, rhinovirus, any of the common cold viruses, etc. Okay, what about protecting yourself? I mean, we all know about the hand washing and, and things. I think people have gotten that message. People washing their hands like crazy. 
what about wiping down surfaces? Like I came into the, the radio studio today and I, and I wiped down a whole bunch of microphones and surfaces with like a, a, a bleach, a water bleach solution. Am I doing the mm-hmm. right thing there? Yeah, I mean, water, bleach, water, soap, uh, disinfectant wipe, whatever you want. See, this virus is very um, fragile. So what ends up happening is um, if it comes into contact with just regular old-fashioned soap, it's kind of like grease on your plate. It just breaks up and goes away. So the fact is that if it's a dilute bleach solution, you're fine. If it's a dilute uh, soap solution, you're fine. If it's alcohol, you're good. If it's any one of those disinfectant wipes, fantastic. And if you are wondering if your product that you have at home is effective, um, down in the States, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, actually has a list of products that have the ability to kill COVID-19. Head on over there, take a look, and then you can find out what works. Guest Jason Tetro, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Lucy on the open line, hi. Hi there, congratulations on your new gig. Anyway, my question is similar to what you had mentioned just before, Dr. Tetro. And when people, I mean, when institutions are spraying down with their things on their back and whatnot, does that kill the virus on contact? And not only that, what do they spray with? Does everybody spray with something different? And when it goes down the drain, does it kill that or does it still alive somewhere down the road? Uh, So essentially when you're spraying, you're using a disinfectant, uh, probably no different than one that you probably have at home, just probably coming from a bigger jug. Uh, And when you're doing that spraying, essentially what's happening is the disinfectant is going to kill within 10 seconds of contact. So in other words, it gets onto the surface and if there's virus there, 10 seconds later, it's pretty much gone. That's for this particular virus. There's a number of other viruses where it takes three minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. So the fact is that we've got a very easy-to-kill virus, and so when they're doing this, it's really effective. And as for what's going down the drain, um, there are some companies that are more concerned about the environment than others, but I'm really hoping that you know we can do this with soap, water, hydrogen peroxide, lots of natural products out there, and I'm hoping that we sort of focus on that as we're moving forward. Star 9898 on your cell is the number to call. Meredith on the open line. Hi. Hey there. Hi there. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, our um, caretaker at our Strat condo uh, uses pine saw, so I I wonder if that's okay for, to Jason? get rid of the. Oh yeah, I mean so, uh, the Dettol, pine saw, all of those uh, carbolic soaps. If you're old enough, you'll remember these from when you used to wipe down pretty much everything with it. Still works like a charm. Keep on doing it. And besides, I love that smell, especially Dettol. <laughs> is that is that the same as pine saw? No, it's a bit different. So the What's pine saw has a bit more of that piney flavor to it, like a yeah. terpene, whereas yeah. Dettol is a nice phenolic, and that phenol is just something that makes you think, oh yeah, it's clean. Okay, oh, it, you know what? It's kind of it does sort of bring you back, doesn't it? I, like I was I was wiping stuff down with pine saw, whatever I could find. And I was like. This, I think this sort of smells like my house when I was growing up, when my mom was wiping everything down all the time, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. So uh, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Graham on the open line. Hi. 
Oh, hi. Um, yeah, so an ER doctor came out yesterday and said that he sees several patients per day that he uh, would be certain have COVID, but he can't test them. So if the, the government and Dr. Henry has stated that they're not ramping up any more testing and they're only t- uh, testing certain people and it's gen- generally not the general public, how on earth can we see the curvature or the, the actual spread of this disease in our province? The the question is really more along the lines of what is this virus doing when it gets inside of us? And the thing is that we're hearing more and more often of asymptomatic people essentially not showing symptoms, very mild upper respiratory symptoms, just like a common cold. And so when you are limited by the number of tests that you can do in a day, um, what you have to do is you have to start focusing on the people who really do fit the criteria. Now, this is not just simply for uh, this particular virus. This is for pretty much any virus when you go for a testing. They always sort of basically, you know, uh, take off the check marks and then look at which one you should be tested for. So in that context, what's happening right now is we're really dealing with the limitation of how many tests we can do, and we're just focusing on the people who most likely are going to be um, you know, infected. Now, over time, what's going to happen is you're going to hear about trials where they're going to ask you to come in and give some blood or maybe some uh, samples from your nose, and we're going to test the, the antibodies. And eventually what that's going to do is it's going to tell us how widespread this virus actually was, and then we're going to get true prevalence rates. We're starting to see this now in places like uh, South Korea, even China starting to do it. It will eventually happen here. But since we still are in the curve of infections as opposed to afterwards, it's going to take a little bit more time. Okay. Do you therefore think, uh, Jason, and by the way, the doctor who was speaking out about not doing enough testing is Dr. Sean Wormsbecker, who works at Royal Columbian Hospital in New West. Mm-hmm. And I believe he's going to be on the Jill Bennett show uh, coming up here a little later. So that's going to be very interesting. Do you therefore think, like he was saying, that maybe we're not doing enough testing? Do you oh, think yeah. that what the government's doing now makes sense when they're saying, look, we're, we're testing people in, in healthcare settings, we're testing healthcare workers? If there's a cluster outbreak in like a, a nursing home or whatever, obviously we're going to test the people there. But that for other people, they're not going to do the test. Does that make sense to you? I put it this way. If there was enough lifeboats on the Titanic, everybody would have survived, right? <laughs> yeah. So I there guess. you go. We can only do so many so tests. So what, what does that mean? You sh- we should be doing more testing. We absolutely should be doing yeah. more testing. We should have the ability to test absolutely everyone who wants it. Um, if you remember correctly, though, we went through that with Zika, and we went through that with Ebola. So the fact is, is that everybody wants to be tested whenever it's around. And what we have to do right now is, since we don't have that capability, we have to focus yeah. on the people who are most at risk. Right. Um, and then what will happen is as our testing capacity increases, then we'll be able to start talking about a more general public. I know a lot of people are going to yell and scream at me saying I'm a cruel, heartless person. I'm not. It's just this isn't the first time I've had to go through this. And unfortunately, these are tough decisions that have to be made. And may I just simply say it's easier for us to make decide who gets a test as opposed to who gets an ICU bed. Corrine on the open line. Hi. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, my question is, is there any concerns about newspaper delivery and or mail, and how would you disinfect paper if there's any concerns? Uh, no. Uh, you see, paper is porous, and that means that whatever happens to go into it that's wet is going to get trapped inside the fibers. Um, 
you've probably heard of the studies about cardboard and stuff like that. What they don't tell you is that after they put the liquid into the cardboard, they had to really swab really hard just to get it out of there. So, in fact, if it's porous, the virus is most likely going to get trapped. So the likelihood very, very low that you would have any risk. And besides, I don't know how many people who read a newspaper who don't wash their hands afterwards. Green, thank you very much for the call. What about um, picking up takeout food? Like I was actually thinking the other day, oh, maybe I'll pick up a, go through a drive through and pick up a hamburger or something. And I thought, Ooh, is that risky? No, not at all. Okay. I mean, first off, the food is hot, yeah. so you're not going to worry about the virus. Uh, the packaging, if it's cardboard, like I just said, it's going to be porous, so it's going to go in. If it happens to be something like a styrofoam, well, the fact is, is all you need to do is transfer from the styrofoam to another container that's in your home that you feel good about, and then you can just wash your hands. You should be washing your hands before you eat anyways. Okay, Jason, we've got a news conference coming up at 1.30 this afternoon with the, the provincial health officer and the BC health minister. We're going to get the latest numbers here. Uh, what do you, when you look at the numbers now in this curve, are, are, is this curve starting to bend? I mean, how do you analyze the numbers that we've seen? Right now, all I can tell you is that the social distancing has been working really well. This is one of the reasons why we're seeing the numbers we're seeing. Yeah. Let's find out when people contravene that, whether or not we're going to see the spikes that I'm kind of expecting. Because if that happens, we've just elongated it as a result of want people wanting to be in the sun. I hope I'm wrong. That's all I can say. Jason, thank you very much for coming on. Where can people find your podcast? Uh, all you can, anywhere you get a podcast, actually, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, you can always reach out to me on Twitter, at Tetro if you've got a question. Thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure. That's Take care. It. You bet. That's Jason Tetro. He's a microbiologist. He's the author of The Germ Files. His very popular podcast is the super awesome science show, which is available wherever you get your podcasts.